In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. In Luke chapter 3, John the Baptist receives the word of the Lord in the midst of the desert, in that wilderness of solitude, in the silence of emptiness. God encounters the heart of the last and the greatest of the prophets of old. Now, John, having had that experience with God, could have easily wanted just to stay there and meditate on everything that just happened with him, but that's not what he does. He responds by leaving that privileged place of rest in God. He came into all the country about the Jordan, preaching the baptism of penance for the remission of sins a voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. You know, in our contemporary society, there are few words that give people the heebie-jeebies than penance, right? They hear that and they automatically begin to check out, right? They think, oh, You know, life is so wonderful and beautiful. Why does anybody want to voluntarily take on penances and mortifications, I remember a young woman who I met who was a very bright young woman doing a doctorate in linguistics uh, who, as soon as she found out that I was studying for the priesthood, said, well, let me tell you why I am no longer a Catholic Christian. I thought, here we go. What are we going to have with this? And she said, because all of you people all the time have to talk about carry your cross, offer it up. It's always suffering and suffering and sacrifice. I'm just so tired of it. And I said, well, those things could be misunderstood. But if you understand why those things are a part of our life and that it's not there just so, us, so we can have some horrifying endurance contest until we're dead and finally get freed from it, right? They are paths to us to be able to free the heart from everything that isn't God so that we can actually cling to something which is good and life-giving and wonderful and amazing. And what that is, those kind of practices of penance and mortification are there for us to enter into a way of life which is renewed and restored. St. John, when he comes as the precursor to our Lord, comes to announce a new moral life. St. Augustine would later comment on this fact No one can ever begin a new life if he doesn't renounce his former way of living. That renunciation of a former way of life is absolutely essential to following in the way of Christ. We can't just do as we always have done. We have to turn the page, start a new chapter. We have to begin again. Now, so often we have kind of this generic desire to be good, to be better people, but then we don't necessarily do much about it, right? Think about, you know, New Year's is coming, 
right? I always hate going to the gym on January the 2nd because like, who are these people, right? But then you wait for a week and they're not there anymore, right? Everyone always has these great intentions on January 1st, the New Year's resolutions, but then, you know, by the time February comes along, so, so what did I say on December 31st at that party? I don't even remember, right? But sometimes we do that with the spiritual life and with the moral life as well. But that new beginning that John comes to initiate us into, that Christ comes to bring fulfillment towards, it doesn't come about just because we wish it would. I mean, I wish it would, right? I would be a rich man by now. It comes by means of penance. And I know that you might not like that word, you might not like that reality, but that's what it is. And penance comes in two forms. First, being penitent, we are sorry for our sins and resolve not to commit them again. No half measures, no shortcuts, no hedging our bets by a minimalist half-hearted attempt at staying away from sin. We must make an interior act of the will not to repeat the mistakes of the past. And second, doing penance to make satisfaction reparation for our sins, which means not just feeling kind of down and bad about stuff, right, or just being sorry even. It means performing acts now and in the future that make up for the past insofar as we are able. St. Thomas Aquinas writes, that since sin is an act against the infinite majesty of God, sin also has a certain infinity about it, to which the finite acts of a creature doing penance are unequal. I don't know about you, but that freaks me out a little bit, right? to think about the real consequences of sin. That's utterly terrifying when you think of it like that. It means that nothing we can ever do can make up for what we have done to offend God, because there isn't anything proportionate about it at all. But, but, while it is true that sin has a kind of infinity about it, because sin offends the infinite majesty of God. It is also true, and this is the message of hope in this, that real repentance has something of infinity about it as well, since it is an appeal to the infinite mercy of our loving God. I want you to think about how absolutely incredible this fact is. You know, sometimes when we look at the past and then we think, what on earth was I thinking, right? Did I really just nearly completely shipwreck my relationship with God and with others? Like, what, what, what went through my head, right? 
And then we go a step further and we think how that impairs our relationship with God. We remember what St. Paul says to the Romans, that the consequences of sin is death. And then we begin to think about all of this and what it means to actually lose our salvation and spend eternity in hell. Who wants to go there? When we realize the magnitude of what it means to commit a real, actual mortal sin… We can be tempted to despair because we know that we can never in any shape or form ever make up for what we did against him. That's the stark reality of it. Merry Christmas, you must be thinking, right? Thanks, Father. Great. But, remember, there's always the but. When we offer up sacrifices to God in atonement for our sin, it doesn't matter how small it is, right? One little tiny step in the right direction. When God is with us, God's infinity multiplies the value of that little step in the right direction. Do you know how pleasing that is to God, and pleasing to the Blessed Virgin and all the saints and angels in heaven when we make even the smallest step in the right direction. The joy that that brings to paradise. When we offer up those sacrifices to God in atonement for our sin, His grace supplies, and He tells us, and His word is true, His grace is sufficient and multiplies to infinity the atoning value of even the smallest gift we give to God. And that is why, my dear friends in Christ, we should never, ever, for any reason under the sun, ever lose hope, because God actually helps us make up for our sins against Him. You know, so often we think of God as kind of standing there with his arms crossed over his chest, looking down his nose at us from heaven, being like, well, that was dumb. Hope you enjoy the heat, right? There goes the down, I'll press it myself, right? Is that really the God that reveals himself in sacred scripture? In the amazing lives of the saints? That's not God. God helps us to make up for our sins against him. That's how much he loves us. And so that means that no one is lost forever who doesn't want to be lost. In the classical Roman rite, the praying church puts on the lips of her children this beautiful prayer that collects the themes that the fourth Sunday of Advent opens up to us. Stir up thy power. I love those colics of Advent. Ex quesumus domine. Stir up thy power. We beseech thee, O Lord, and with great might help to aid us, that by the help of thy grace, that which is hindered by our sins may be hastened by thy merciful forgiveness. You know, grace builds on nature. Don't make the perfect the enemy of the good. 
So often we think, well, you know what, my spiritual life, it should be like right here, right now, and, you know, I'm kind of like right here, and yeah, right? And then we get kind of upset because we don't think we are where we need to be. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, right? Because if you're doing that, then you're looking at yourself and not God. Whereas God is saying, wait, I'm in this and I'm infinite and I'm with you. So yes, together we can do this and we're going to, but you just got to give me space to do it, right? Praise God for God, right? God comes to help us, not to do it for us. But we know that we can ask him, not just for any old help, or just a little tiny bit of help, like a little parsimonious eyedropper from the sky, you know, please, sir, one little drop. No, God is an infinite ocean of mercy that he wants to go for us to be plunged into. Because of that, we recognize what sin has done in the past the abyss that opened up between us and him, but we don't even cause that to let us lose our peace. (laughs) Because we know that when we come to him who comes to us and we ask for his forgiveness and his mercy, he's not going to sit there with a little eyedropper. Maybe I might give you a little bit that might help you out some. No, he comes to us, lavishes his love on us, and makes that abyss crossable once again. And he doesn't sit there and just build a bridge with one little thing at a time, right? Instant. Because his mercy is an instant. And it can change and transform our lives if we just let him do that. Advent is about preparing our hearts for the coming of Christ as king. Lowly in a stable in Bethlehem, and glorious in majesty, reigning from an eternal throne. This penitential season of Advent shows us that when we choose to love God and others for love of Him, when we make satisfaction for our sins, boldly offering sacrifices to God, we are never alone and we are never orphans. Because the Lord in his might helps us to be more ourselves, who we were created from all eternity to be, fearfully and wonderfully made as his image and likeness.